0: You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, sex and
1: relationship advice you can use tonight.
0: Hey, hey, your friendly neighborhood sexologist here, Jessica O'Reilly, getting ready to talk about dating, self-worth, self-esteem, body image, and how to feel better about yourself whether you are single, dating partnered, or somewhere in between. First, I want to give a big shout out to Desire Resorts. They have clothing optional couples experiences in Mexico and in Europe. And Brandon and I will be joining them on their Mediterranean cruise this September and the Desire Red Carpet Cruise in May 2020. I am not going to complain about that. Joining me today to discuss dating in the age of social media, in the age of left and sometimes right swipes, and the age of filters and heavy editing on just about everything is Dr. Donna Oriowo, a sex and relationship educator and therapist and an international speaker located in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Now, you are a therapist. Why do clients come to you primarily?
1: Oh, there's so many reasons, but the main one um, is that I actually see a lot of single people, uh, and they're concerned about how they've been in these sort of repeat relationships again and again, worried about um, having a little bit of anxiety, maybe some depression around what it's like to date and what it's like to date now, and what it's like to date in their individual bodies. So working on um, some some level of body satisfaction, but then there's also the colorism that they're dealing with. So discrimination based on their skin tone, as well as texturism that they're dealing with, um, which is the same before hair. Discrimination against their hair texture.
0: And so how does that discrimination, how is it manifested? Are people being overt about it? Are they small microaggressions?
1: Oh, it's a little bit of everything. It's, it's such a joy how people can (laughs) find different ways to compliment slash insult each other. So they'll hear things like, you're pretty to be dark skin. Like, (sighs) Oh, I've I've never, I've never been with you, uh, you know, a woman like you and it's like, okay, well, what do you mean? Oh, I'm, you know, I've never dated a big girl and just, you know, sort of, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear that silence.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And when people say things like this, are they looking for a cookie? Are they saying, well, you know, I'm here and I'm doing a good thing.
1: Yeah, it's almost like they think they're charity dating. Oh, dear. I'm doing you a favor by being seen out in public with you. And I'm just like, this is ridiculous.
0: The toll that this must take on... Your self-esteem must be so significant. How, how do you work through that? So those aren't even what I was thinking of with regard to microaggressions. That's quite blatant. Um, how do you work through that? The, the fear, because we all face a fear of rejection when we go on a date, mm-hmm. but that fear is intensified when you're hearing that kind of nasty communication.
1: Honestly, it takes a lot of undoing in the therapy room. And it takes that undoing because they've taken it in as, sometimes people take it in as the gospel truth. So, oh, I am lucky to be in this relationship. Um, This person is nice to me. You know, we we talk about like nice guy syndrome, except for across, of course, across sexes. Like, oh, well, they're nice. They don't beat me. They don't. They don't hit me, they don't cuss me out, so they are a nice person. I'm with the nice one. But the nice one is giving you backhanded compliments and they're hurting your feelings and they gaslight you. And I, I'm just like, no, this is not exactly what we want in, a, in the context of a relationship. So the undoing part is helping them to sort of unravel those messages that they were getting within the context of the relationship while at the same time reminding them that they are dope and they are wonderful and that they are great and that someone that is dating them as though it is a favor is not, is probably not the person for them because people are not collector's items and no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, (laughs) And so if you have perhaps lowered your standards, because it sounds like that's what they're doing, to address these messages that devalue yourself on every date. We see it in, in, in media communications. We don't just see it in the dating sphere. How do you not just overcome that, but how do you sift through potential dates to find someone who's going to honor you, who's going to see you as, as the dope person you are?
1: I think that first you have to notice it in yourself. Okay. And I say that because oftentimes we lower our standards because we feel some type of way. We don't feel that we're worth someone that treats us, that treats us well, that treats us like we're worthy, that treats us like we're gorgeous, that treats us like we are the shit. And so we sort of downplay all those things and we get into a space where you can be desperate to be in a relationship. Because society has told us that if you're not, something is wrong with you. So now you're willing to accept anybody that comes your way instead of keeping your standards high because we're worried about being alone. We're we're worried about what it says that we're alone and that somehow we lost value in the eyes of the people that are around us. So friends, family and society at large that well, you're not with anybody, so you have time to do this extra thing at work, or I don't know what you're complaining about, or, I mean, I mean, there's so many things that sort of devalue you in the process that it just makes the whole thing more difficult. So if you don't know that you are awesome, and it's going to be difficult for you to be in a relationship with someone where they also treat you like you're awesome, and for you to accept it,
0: you bring something up that's very interesting, and that's about workplace treatment of single folk versus coupled folk. And we see this with parenting. Uh, if you don't have a child, you may be expected to stay later to do more. and if if you have a child, you have the excuse for leave, not the excuse. You have a a reason to leave earlier. And I haven't thought about it um from a coupled versus single perspective, probably because I've had couple privilege. Pretty much my whole adult life, I've been in this very long-term relationship. And so is this something that, that falls upon single people where the onus of responsibility becomes heavier because they're not expected to need to go home or they're, they're expected to work harder because they're single? Is this something you observe?
1: I can tell you that that has been my personal experience as well as something that has been spoken about by very many of my clients. So this, this idea that, well, you're single and you don't have kids. I don't understand why you can't do X, Y, Z. Except it's not even just workplaces that will say it. It's family that will say, it. oh, well, can you, can you pick this up? Can you go here? Can you do this? Well, it's not like you got anybody. Where are you going? That, that type of thing. I'm just like, wow. Way to devalue my whole life down to having a partner and or kids. And saying that my life lacks as much significance as yours because I don't have someone special at home to go to. I am the special someone I want to meet at my house.
0: Oh my goodness. I would love a night alone at my own house. (laughs) (laughs) I am a special person. Let me tell you how much I like my own company. So, you know, most of these people that you are seeing, I presume they're dating online. And I often hear online daters lament the notion that dating is now so superficial because you're just looking at photos very quickly. And so I, I'd like to get your perspective on that. Is online dating superficial or does it depend on what site or app you're using?
1: I think it depends on the person doing the dating, who's looking. Because I feel like the dating apps, they really can turn it into almost like car shopping, where you're looking at the make, the model, the body, the color, and you haven't even taken the time to look at the specs, what what they have, what they also have to offer within the context of a relationship. So it's like, ah, I don't like this. I don't like the body on this one. Swipe. Oh, I don't like this on that one. So it, it turns into how many traits can I, like, I have an idea of what beauty looks like in my head. How many, how close can I get to that ideal in my mind beauty without having to look at the rest first? Like, I just want to make sure they look good first.
0: Right. And if, so if online dating gets boiled down to physical appearance, whom does this advantage and whom does this disadvantage? Because there are some people who are going to fall into the cultural standards of beauty Mm. more than others.
1: Yep. So generally speaking, Asian men and black women are considered to be the least desirable in online dating situations. Asian men have been asexualized and black women are seen as, you know, nobody wants to date a black woman unless she looks a certain way. If you can't have a question of, well, what are you, then nobody is really checking for black women that way. They said they're difficult to deal with that, that, Oh, we're not as, we're not as beautiful as other women. And that's generally because we're going by Eurocentric standard of beauty, where we're talking blonde hair, blue eyes, white skin, thin and able-bodied. So you, you really start to like cut people out when we're going by that sort of, um, when we're going by that model and hoping that everybody would fit in it.
0: You know, there was a an Asian actor, a Canadian guy and I have to look up his name. He's on a show called Kim's Convenience, which is a a Canadian comedy. Very, very attractive man. And he called this out on National Television in Canada a couple of weeks ago. And he was in front of a live studio audience and they were talking about sexual stereotypes and he says, Let's talk about Asian male sexuality or something along those lines. And the whole audience burst out laughing. And he called them out and said, that, you know, that wasn't a punchline. The fact that you are laughing speaks to the fact that we have been desexualized, that we have been painted as asexual, as eunuchs. There are all these negative mm. stereotypes. And I thought that that was going to go more viral around the world and, I, I mean, he's a very, very attractive man. <laughs> um, but because he's Asian, he is seen as attractive for an Asian. And I'll tell you, so I'm, a, I'm, I'm Chinese mixed. And growing up, I looked a lot more Chinese. I, and over the years, you know, your face just changes. And now, I, you know, people just can't tell what I am. But I remember people telling me that I was pretty for a Chinese girl. And, and so it certainly stuck with me that I I was pretty, but I couldn't be as pretty as my white friends.
1: And we are in this boat together. I was pretty for an African, pretty for a dark skinned girl. Right. And the
0: the pressure to change the way you look. I think about, I had a student who, um, I remember had a eyelid surgery. She was, I think she was Chinese. Uh, she had eyelid surgery because she needed to have bigger eyelids. And there are things that we do every single day to conform to more Eurocentric standards of beauty. And so I guess the question is, How do we overcome that? Not only how do we feel more beautiful in our own skin, which it sounds like you—that's this is a lot of what you do in therapy, Mm -hmm. but how do we deal with, if you're dating, how do you deal with, with people rejecting you without even taking a look at you?
1: Honestly, I would say the main thing is to remember that that person is not for you. Anybody that's going to reject you before they actually get to know you Is probably not the person you were seeking in the first place. And you certainly don't want to spend all your time trying to grab their attention so that they can see you as worthy because then you're always going to have to be trying to prove yourself as worthy in their eyes. No one has time for that. This is that moment where you stop and you consider how is it, how do you want to live your life? What does that look like? What are the traits that you have in yourself that you know makes you everything? And when you go out with people, listening to them, because they're going to, some people will show their complete ass when, (laughs) when you go out on a date with them. That's when they will tell you about their preferences. That's when they'll tell you a little bit about that dating history. And sometimes you'll recognize that you are, An international bedpost, like that you are just another person that they're adding to a notch because they're they're trying to date everybody from every nation and so that they can say they don't discriminate or something of that nature or make themselves feel better. And I'm saying that you got to know yourself. And when you do go out, you've got to listen. you got to be present. And you've got to say no when you know that whatever they're about to serve you is not love. Whatever you know that what they're going to give to you is, is nowhere near what you want. So I say always start with knowing what you want. What do you want out of a relationship? Why do you want it? How does it serve you? And how do you also live up to it? Because can't lie. Some people have this beautiful shopping list, 100 items deep, and they only have two of it themselves. No, no, no. Make sure that you also live up to this list that you have and then know yourself i mean honestly i i can't stress that enough knowing yourself to me is one of the best ways to go about it because when you know yourself you accept yourself and you love yourself other people they either have no choice but to do the same or to get out of your face
0: you you said so much there that i want to follow up on you you mentioned a number of questions that you need to consider first and then ensure that you bring it to the table too. You said, what do you want out of a relationship? Can you can you repeat a couple of
1: those for me again? Um, the what do you want out of a relationship? Why do you want it? Yes. How does it serve you? And how do you live up to it?
0: I like that. I think that's a good standard for absolutely everyone. And I like that you bring it back to yourself because we are often good at talking about what we want in a partner, and then we get into a relationship and we talk about what our partner lacks or what our partner is doing wrong. And if we could bring it back full circle to ourselves to begin with, we're going to be 50% of the way there. But most of us don't do that. We look at outside sources. We look at other people.
1: Yeah. And we have this notion that this relationship that we need is going to complete us. It should be a relationship you want, and you are already a complete person. Both people should be bringing their all to the relationship. 50-50 will get you in trouble.
0: Right, because then you're only one person. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Play. Do you remember the Seinfeld where George and Jerry had to date uh, one woman together? I don't know if that's before your time.
1: <laughs> you know, I can't say that I've ever really watched Seinfeld. I've only oh seen like God. a few episodes.
0: Every day a Seinfeld uh, reference comes up for me and I think about the next generation not knowing the Seinfeld references because every day something comes up because it was really a show about nothing but a show about everyday. <laughs> exactly, a show about everyday life. Now you brought up a, an important word which is preferences. And I recently wrote a piece for Post City Magazines which is a, a Toronto-based circular here Uh, about racism in dating in Toronto. And up here in Canada, we love to pretend, okay, folks love to pretend that we are post-racial. Oh, gosh. Right. And they say things like, I don't care. I date black, white, Asian, blue, purple. And here's the thing. What are these blue and purple people that they're dating? Exactly. (laughs) It's hard to hear it. And to throw... To throw the rest of us in with these blue and purple people, unless you're dating Barney, uh, I mean, who is a dinosaur? So I'm just like
1: <laughs> now you're talking about interspecies dating, right? Right? <laughs> unless it's
0: a furry, unless you're into the furries, which which is kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> so there. There are people who kind of, as you said, are collecting notches, uh, dating people of color as badges of honor. And I, I got into a little thing on Facebook with somebody the other day because they were claiming that they couldn't be racist because they had had partners from various backgrounds
1: in oh, the that's past. Cute.
0: Right. That's you. And oh, so cute. <laughs> you know, it's it's you know we need to remind ourselves that we all every single one of us carries these biases, and we need to work against them. We are swimming upstream against them. And so how, how do we even begin to dismantle this? Because I'll tell you, I don't want to be fetishized. I think if I was dating, uh, and it was a white person, and he kept talking about how he had all these Asian partners, it, it would be a, a massive
1: red flag to
0: me as someone who oh, hasn't been on a date in 18 years. <laughs>
1: definitely i'm like i love what you just said for me preferences is just a cute way to say biases it Mm -hmm. seems a little bit more acceptable and i I really i'm a therapist so i always encourage people to go back to therapy um to sort of examine those preferences and to just I, I, i sometimes i really just do not understand i'm Why you think that just because you date people outside of your own race, that now that means you're not racist. That is not what that means at all. You're not any less racist because you are still participating in white supremacist beauty standards in how you date people. You are literally dating people to be able to say, oh yeah, i dated an Asian. Oh yeah, I've dated a black person. Yes, I've dated these these different people. So obviously I can't be racist. Yes, you can. And people often still are. And
0: why are we so afraid? You know, we, I, you know I, I'm a person of color who often passes as white. And I carry racial biases because I was raised with racial biases. I'm, I'm not talking about my parents specifically, although that's a part of it too. And because I live in a world in which racial bias shows up in everything we do. Um, how, how can we get people to just acknowledge that we carry racial bias? Because we can't overcome
1: racism unless we call it what it is. Oh, nobody wants to call it what it is because it makes people uncomfortable. And I would say part of that is going to just be simply having conversation. And I know it sounds really simple, but it's not. And having convos with people who are not just going to confirm some of the nonsense that we've already got going. Some of it is as simple as a Google search, do some research learn what these biases are and Mm -hmm. open your eyes to the possibility that you have been fed something that may not belong to you. That's probably one of the most difficult parts of reminding people that everyone wants to believe that every thought that they have is original and their own without recognizing all the, all the factors that have influenced them. So I, I try to get people to come outside of race for a moment and just think about what, did your parents say about reading, versus how you feel about reading, versus how now you talk to others about reading. That's influence. It's Like constantly being able to say, okay, or even looking at intergenerational trauma and how that impacts one person to the next generation to the next generation. The same thing goes for race. The same things goes for these so-called preferences, we get them from somewhere. And sometimes they're not organic to our families. They're not organic to our situations and to our little club of people. But nonetheless, they become part of our nomenclature. They become a part of how we talk to each other and how we think and how we interact with other people. Anyone who is saying that they are immune to society's biases is being blind. And or they're lying to themselves in order to sort of lift themselves up as someone who is so special that they couldn't possibly be impacted by anything anyone else is saying, which is cute.
0: <laughs> and, fr- and frustrating. So, and I'm sure, you know, even people listening can, it's easy to get your back up because either you're advantaged by the system and nobody really wants to admit privilege um, or because you don't know where to begin. So if we were to, just to end there, if you are dating or if you're just a person moving through the world and you want to address your own biases, mm-hmm. you mentioned having conversations, and so it's interesting we were Brennan and I, my husband and I were in Chicago the other day and we were going on a walking tour, an architectural walking tour that was self-guided. And we're walking through these beautiful, fancy neighborhoods with our phones. And we're, you know, looking at houses and pointing at architecture. And I said to him, you know, if, if, well, I'm a person of color, but if we were, if we were darker skinned, if you were black, especially as a black man, we probably couldn't walk through and point houses the way we are doing right now. And so these things come up all the time. And I think if we go back five years, and I wish Brandon were here. He's hes usually here, but he had a, a dental surgery today. Um, he would say, you know, five years ago, I wouldn't have been able, to, or 10 years ago, to acknowledge that in the same way. But he's like, that's just, it, it's absurd that the way I move through life gives me every single advantage. And so I think that's a place to start, just to recognize the privilege that we have. And I, I feel that every single day because I live a really nice lifestyle. and where else can people begin if they want to address their own biases? So you you mentioned a Google search, you mentioned having these conversations. Are there specific even websites? I I know Brandon, for instance, subscribes to different websites because it's not my job to explain it to him.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, there's so many different places. Um, I know one is like race matters. Um, I don't know if that's that org or dot com but um they have a lot of information there um they even have a test on racial implicit bias which is available online so you can learn if you're biased for or against people of color or i think it was actually black people or against white people um so i i've been on that website i i I'm constantly trying to make sure that I'm taking in information from some very many of my friends who are constantly talking about racial implications, body implications, colorism, texturism, everything within the context of sex and sexuality and trying to get myself to a space where I'm able to think about things outside of the small bubble that may be my own. So one of those places of course is, you know, get on the internet. But then for me, I said, I'm a therapist and I always tell people go get some therapy. I truly do believe in it because it can help you to address so much within yourself and it helps you to sort of open your eyes to how you see the world around you. As, but as, as long as you don't have a therapist that's just going to confirm that you don't have privilege and all that jazz, then it'll be even more helpful for you to open your eyes and go out and really see the world as it is and how others can see it.
0: And, and one last question for people who are going to say, well, what if I'm just not attracted to a person, an individual? And of course, there are going to be individuals you're not attracted to. When we look at uh, appearance, how much should your appearance matter in dating? How much does it matter?
1: I think that right now, it probably matters a little bit more than it should. Now, and I think it also depends on the person. It should matter at least a little because, I mean, obviously we want sexual attraction and all that, but you don't want to just find yourself being just friends. But at the same time, I think right now we're putting a lot more weight on how someone looks and not enough weight on what else they bring to the table besides their looks. Because over time, looks will fade and you can't eat your beauty. So (laughs) what else is there that this person is offering you? Other than just their looks, because what that means to me is if you all you're looking at is looks at some point, you're going to have to change out that person because at some point they're going to stop being so beautiful to you, which means that now you're going to be right back on the dating market. You're going to be right back out there on the dating scene. So if something happens to them, do you stop liking them? Do you stop loving them? And is that the type of life you want to live?
0: Right, and if you only like the beginnings of things when they are attractive, you will always be dating. You won't You won't commit for the long term. And if you don't want to commit for the long term, that's your that's prerogative. But I, I do think it's important to note that sexual attraction can be cultivated over time. It's not always attraction or chemistry at first sight. And I know there are people that will disagree with me on that, but I, I see it in the couples that I work with who have been together for 30, 40 years, people who are much older than me who have insights that I cannot possibly
1: gain on my own at my age. So yeah, I appreciate- You got to change that visual diet. If you're constantly seeing the same things, um, and this is funny because uh, it came from Sonali Rashetua, I love her. Um, But she talks about changing the visual diet that you've got to expand what you're looking at. If you are constantly looking at the same sort of person in your social media, you know, like whatever that is, you're going to be biased toward that and think that that is the only beauty. So if you don't match it, you're going to hurt your own feelings. But beyond that, it means that now you expect other people around you to look like that, to be like that, to act like that. So you got to expand that visual diet so that you're taking in a little bit more because the more you see it, the more you're going to see what's attractive in it.
0: I love that and the more you see images that are that are either beautiful or sensual or sexy or erotic that feature people of different body types of different skin tones with different textures the more you begin to associate that with being beautiful but we have a very limited diet as you put it and very limited images of what we have been told is beautiful and i often differentiate between cultural beauty standards that have been dictated to us by our dominant culture versus animalistic desire, what you actually would enjoy if you let your mind wander beyond magazine beauty. Mm. Uh, now, you you have a number of tools I want to share with people. You have cocoa butter and hair grease, a self-love journey through hair and skin. And this is a, a workbook for yes. women with activities where they get to think and write down their thoughts and feelings related to issues around their skin, their hair. Where can people access this Cocoa Butter and Hair Grease?
1: It is coming soon. So it will actually be released in April, but you can sign up for information on it at cocoa CocoaButterAndHairGrease.com. It will reroute you to my website so that you can actually go ahead and put that information in. I'm really excited about it. It's, it's sort of beautiful right now. <laughs> it really oh, is. Awesome. I'm, so I'm excited.
0: Perfect. I'll pre-order. And you also, you have a Sex Talk Parent Edition webinar. And uh, this is really interesting because I know a lot of people listen to this podcast for themselves, but many are parents. So where can they access the Sex Talk Parent
1: webinar? The Sex Talk Parent webinar is uh, that one. How do I say this whole thing? So the easiest way to get there is anodright.com, dot tcom and backslash webinars um it'll be the first one on the page perfect but yeah that is where to get it
0: okay wonderful so in nodwright.com we'll be linking to that as well on our on our instagram you can go take a look on stories and you can swipe up to access well thank you so much dr donna for being here with us really appreciate it
1: thank you i feel, i really loved having this conversation with you thank you have a great one you too
0: I know that talking about race in or out of dating and confronting our own biases can feel very uncomfortable, but that discomfort pales in comparison to the fear, the pain, the rejection, the suffering faced by those who are disadvantaged by societal bias. So it's our job to push through this discomfort. I really appreciate Dr. Donna's perspective and really admire her work. And if there is one action item you can take out of this discussion, I encourage you to, right now, notice the good in yourself. Either in your head or write it down on paper or say it out loud if you're not on the bus. Tell yourself what you like about yourself. What do you admire about yourself? How would your best friend describe you. Take stock of why you're so great and just own it. You know, you don't have to prove yourself to anyone. You don't have to prove your worth. In fact, you should be on the lookout to make sure the people in your life give you the love and respect you deserve. When I try this, if I were right now to think about what I like like about myself, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that I try to make other people feel good. But then automatically I have this positive st- thought and then I start thinking about what's not good about me, how I screw up sometimes, the ways in which I fall short. And, you know, I realize just in this moment that this type of thinking, it's not good for me. Um, you know, it comes from a desire, I think, to be humble, which is uh, cultural on my part. But I shouldn't have to offset every positive thought with a critical one. I, I should learn to kind of marinate in the self-liking and in noticing the good in myself as Dr. Donna recommended. So I'm going to do that now and I really hope that you do the same. I hope you take a minute or two to just take stock of what makes you a great catch. Whether you're singled or partnered because it makes for happier relationships and a happier life. And yeah, it's good advice from Dr. Donna. So thank you to Dr. Donna for insights and all that sage advice thank you to you for listening and thank you to desire resorts check them out on instagram and be sure to follow me too at sex with dr jess and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already have a great week wherever you're at i'll be back with brandon next friday and every friday morning